0: Welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast uh, by Providence Church in Omaha. My name is Gabriel, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend Andrew Rutten. Yep, I'm excited. And today we have two very special guests, Scott and Debbie Nordstrom. Scott is an architect and a tree farmer, which is, we can get to that later. And Debbie, um, you are heavily involved in prison ministry. You've raised a batch of kids and sent them all on, and now you're really involved with prison ministry. Is uh, what else am I missing from your story? Like, who are you guys? You're also you're an elder at Providence Church, kind of.
1: Yeah, like, kind yes. of. Yeah? Yes. An advisor. I guess we don't have elders. Yeah, an advisor, but yeah. kind of the precursor to the precursor an elder board. An elder. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Love to give some insight. When I was a young guy in leadership, I prayed for older people to give some insight, and I ended up becoming the older person. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you have the an answer to You your forgot own we're grandparents. Oh, uh, yeah. Grand- you're grandparents, grandparents now. We were I didn't realize that. Three kids, grandkids. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. That's a
1: Important part. But four kid, four important
2: kids part. of our own, so yeah. that's awesome. That's cool. How
1: did you guys uh, quickly, maybe just share a little bit? How did you guys land at, at Providence?
2: Okay, so try to make a short story here. We were at our northwest, uh, out on the almost country edge there of a church for about thirty-five years, and I've in leadership for most of those years. And I, I felt God allowing me to step out of that position of leadership to allow some of the younger. Uh, people jump into that and I was going to mentor them and and so as that went along I just felt God actually leading us to in a different direction and some of us we were done with homeschool my wife primarily involved with that that was about 2 years ago and we were just really praying lord where do you want us to minister now and it it seemed like it was heading uh, more towards inner city ministry prison and um, and so we decided let's, let's look for a church uh, that might be more inner city cuz sometimes you got to pick these people up and if you're picking them up way from downtown and coming way back out in northwest omaha one they may not be, feel comfortable in that context way out there and and so we were, it was a big step for us cuz being a church for 35 years and then deciding okay let's make a shift there it it that was a, a lot of prayer and many months praying about it so i knew god was doing some cool things in the city like churches hmm. I didn't know much about them. Uh, I got online, and I found it there from you know the CMA, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I actually was raised in the CMA churches for the first 18 years of my life, and I thought, okay, that's a good sign. And so I initially went to Midtown because that's the one I knew of, and we, I went there a couple times. My wife was teaching Sunday school back at her other church, and she did not attend. And, and I really liked it, but I, I I just felt that I said, God, is this the place? And I just not feel that God was leading that way. I just didn't have a piece of my heart. Nothing against them. They're a great church. And then I heard that there was a Benson City Light. And so my wife and I both went to that one. And when we left, we just said, again, we just don't feel God leading us here. And we didn't know providence existed. And another Christian said, well, there's another problem. I kind of joked about, you know, when Samuel went to Jesse's sons to anoint a king. And where's your sons? One of these sons will be the king. And they looked at this one. Maybe this one. No, not that one. Maybe this one. No, not that one. And it's like, do you have any other sons? And, well, yeah, David's out in the field. And it was almost like Providence. Like, do you not have another city-like church here in Omaha? And Oh, yeah, there's Providence. And so, okay, let's try that. It's, it's you know, more downtown even. And and so we, before we left the house that morning, you had the 9 o'clock breakfast. You hadn't really launched as a church. I'm not sure what you called right, that yeah. phase. But
1: kind of a core team phase, yeah. Yeah, and you're probably launched. kind
2: of shocked to see some of us yeah. show up there. but. Uh, so the breakfast was at 9 o'clock, and then the, I think the service was at 10. So before I left, I do so let's pray that, you know, God, if, if this is where you want us, make it obvious. I don't want to be looking for a church for a year. Where do you want us to land? And
3: Well, and you didn't mention that when we had talked about changing churches, in my heart— I knew it would be a city light church. He said to me, the only church I would feel comfortable going to is a city light church, and I said, that is so cool. That's exactly how I feel. Mm. So it was very clear that's where we were supposed to be. We just didn't know yeah. specifics. Yeah.
2: Yet. yeah, and at this time, too, Debbie had been getting into the York prison ministry, so some of that was already taking place, and she was going out there twice a week, and there were some really, really cool things happening out in York. And so we come to the breakfast at 9 o'clock, and we sit down at a table with four ladies, ask if we could join them, sure. And uh, I said, well, how long, how long have you been coming here? And they said, oh, it's our first time. I said, wow, that's cool. This is our first time, yeah. too. And so it's interesting. Their first time and our first time, they haven't really met anybody else but us. And we haven't met, any, met anybody else but them. And we got talking. I said, well, where are you from? And, and my wife had to go do something. And, she, and so I was the only one at the table. And yeah, so where are you from? Uh, well, there's four of them. And one, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. And then one said York. And my wife goes out there twice a week for the prison ministry. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. My wife goes out there twice a week and ministers in the York prison. And God is really doing some cool things out there. She's really excited about it. And the, and the gal says, well, oh, I was in York prison. Wow. Mm. And I thought, okay, confirmation <laughs> that this is where God wants us. And I haven't even met the pastors yet or I haven't even gone through the first service. But it was like a strong, okay, God, thank you. And so that was initially – Confirmed to me that providence is where where God wants us, and mm. it's been a, really a a great a great fit for us. Yeah, no, we never so looked back. We just awesome. knew. Yeah, I've really been enjoying it. It's been really refreshing to me. I, I guess for me, part of the thirty five years of ministering in the church, and now coming out of that role, I didn't realize how much refreshment I needed, or just some mm. recharging. So it's really been good, and and uh, so it's been a good fit for us.
3: Mm.
0: That's crazy. So you were at another church for thirty five
2: years. Yeah, it was actually
3: thirty six. Thirty
0: six. and you helped plant it, right? Yeah, we so did. You guys were helping. Yeah, plant yeah. The church. and then
3: we had a lot of family there too, yeah. and we still love, you know, love yeah. that. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. God can do some amazing things and call you away from mm-hmm. a place you might think you'd die at, or mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, I imagine like if I planted Providence Church and thirty five years later, yeah, I'd be like, I'm just gonna die in this church. <laughs> Yeah. Not like in a bad way. Well, like, what's cool though is that
2: know. it's the bigger body of Christ in yeah. each church is moving in, hopefully in the same direction and we're all yeah. laboring together. So it's just a different part of the vineyard, so to speak, or location. And yeah. so
1: mm-hmm.
2: we're all serving the, the same Lord and Savior. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: What I love about that is, and we're going to get into this with some of your stories, but just that your yes was still on the table. right? So you plant a church, you're there helping lead for 35 years ministering. It'd be easy to kind of hit cruise control and just say, we did our part we helped plant a church we've been you know here now as we're you know getting older like you said with uh, more leaders coming in it'd be easy to kind of move into a consumer mindset instead you jump on board with another yeah. brand new church plan <laughs> and just keep saying yes and yeah just there's traces of that throughout your story which is gonna be fun to yeah hear. so for
2: me i'm a real visionary let's get going type of guy and so god said okay you can put the brakes on and just sit there and let ministry in a sense come to you not that I won't pursue things, but God was just telling me to to sit tight and and just relax in a sense for a moment. But I was like chomping at the bit. Okay, I wanted to get into this. I wanted. How about this? How about that? And it's like, sit still. Let ministry come to you at the time. But I'm willing to say yes. And God's and I have plugged into some other things like the Open Door Mission and some other income, and I've helped down there. So
0: yeah.
2: it's not like I was doing nothing, but I didn't want to push my way into areas where God. Was not calling me, so I wanted to be real sensitive to spirits leading, and and so that's been a real challenge for me yeah. to just to that's relax. Great. But yeah, then you know. since then I've plugged into quite a few ministries. So that's great.
0: And so to sort of flip the coin over to the other half of the story, um, so Debbie, you um, God has been growing like a passion for, uh, I I guess like not like trauma victims, but people who have experienced trauma. In their life. And I think in the blog, you tell the story of being raised with foster siblings, which is kind of a big thing here in Nebraska. And the foster system has been um, only growing in the last, like, two years. I know there's, like, 22% um, in some parts of the state that it's grown by. And there's, um, I think they said 8,000 kids spent at least one day in foster care last year. Wow. So what was it like to grow up, I guess, with foster siblings?
3: So we had two long-termers. And several short-termers, my mom and dad. But my grandmother, my mom's mom, she had countless foster kids Mm -hmm. in and out of her home as far back as I can remember. So when I say I was raised with them, they were around me all the time. And my parents didn't – we had a wonderful home very strong Christian, very protected. But at the same time, they did not shelter us from the reality of the pain in this world, for which I'm grateful. And one of those foster sons of my grandmother came back into our lives right before my husband Scott and I were married, wreaked total havoc because my mom and dad were completely clueless on addiction and... Um, dealing with, you know, people that had been in prison. And this boy had been very violent. He was very violent with my mom, et cetera, et cetera. It was quite the, my mom says um, that the ministry that she eventually wrote to help this young man to get off of his addictions, she calls it forged in fire, their story. So I was raised around some pretty intense things But my parents were really godly and really people of faith. So I knew that Satan would oppose, but God was stronger.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. And so, like, fast forward, I guess, 23 years or so. um, You had just finished, like, uh, I guess, homeschooling all your children. And they're all out the door. And you're trying to figure out, like, what to do next with your life.
3: Yeah, and I would have people, as I neared the end of my homeschool journey, I would have people say, well, what are you going to do? And I was completely content to say, I don't know, God will show me when I get there. Mm -hmm. And then about a year before I was completely finished, I started talking to the Lord about it, and I felt this overwhelming heaviness that I had to start sharing my faith, the gospel. Mm -hmm. I had to get out of my... Christian world, because I had ministered to children, and I had shared the gospel and seen kids saved in Sunday school, but beyond that, it was real limited. We live in the country. There's hardly any neighbors. I mean, there just wasn't much access, and I knew that it was time for me to go all out sharing my faith, and so I told the Lord, yes. I said, I would love to do that. I had a passion for that. But I said you're going to have to help me know where the fish are, so that's how this journey started.
0: Yeah, that's great, and I think that's something probably a lot of uh, people in our church even struggle with. I know there's some people even in my city group that struggle with this. They're like, I, I feel like I just don't have any like non-Christian like friends. I just don't know where to to meet people or what to do. For you, like, what you, you mentioned this a little bit, but what did that like look like? Like what? Um, Like, what did it look like to be only involved with, like, Christians?
3: Um, I volunteered very heavily. I was in a lot of leadership positions in the homeschool community, and I felt that I was using my gifts for the Lord. So at that time, I think because my children were involved in that, I think that's exactly where God wanted me. It's not that I never shared my faith. It just wasn't my primary. I did a lot of discipleship. I did trauma counseling to people in the church, in fact, who had... um, lost their way and were just struggling very hardcore because of life's problems. So I spent my time doing a lot of discipleship all yeah. those years. But now he said you're going to turn to evangelism and then of course discipleship follows that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So what did like what happened next? Like how did you find a place um, that you were looking for to sort of be around people that didn't know Jesus?
3: Yeah. So I knew that I had to get out of my house obviously. So I started putting the word out to all my family and friends. Hey, this is what God's laid on my heart. Just let me know if you can think of any ideas what I could do. Somebody said, oh, get involved in a book club in the library. I looked into that. I was like, eh. <laughs> Somebody else said, go volunteer in the hospital. Oh, okay. You know, volunteer. And then I realized now nah, that wasn't going to be the right fit for me either. Yeah. And so eventually my mom, who wrote the Overcomers in Christ program, she said, well, maybe – this is such a cool story. She said, maybe the person who's leading overcomers in Christ down at the Liddy house, maybe she'll want a co-leader for her group. Uh Oh, and I, I just kept saying, okay, that's literally what I would say. Okay. Cause I didn't know where God really wanted me. So I just thought I'll just try some things. So she asked this woman and this woman said, no, she didn't want a co-leader. And I said, okay. (laughs) And, So then my mom said, well, maybe Chaplain Joy Stevens in the Douglas County will, maybe she'll want somebody to come in and start an overcomers group or something like that. So she asked Chaplain Joy, and Chaplain Joy said, yeah, that'd be great. So she made an appointment, came over to my house. I met her for the first time, and she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I've spent years homeschooling and working with children, but I said, I also do a lot of counseling for trauma people and just, that's just what the Lord has laid on my heart. My mom does a lot of that. We're not trained counselors, but we have the Bible, we have Jesus, and we know the disease. It's called sin. So um, she said, really? Well, I am starting trauma classes in the jail. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm handpicking a few women. And one of them was Chaplain Eunice Arendt. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'd like you to be part of that. Would you like to be part of that? And I tell you, I just danced inside. I knew immediately that was where I was supposed to be. But what was so interesting about this story is I started with that trauma class. It was a five-day class. And there is where I met my friend Lori, who I call a lifer with me. We're lifers for Jesus. And um, she walked in that class as an inmate with her head low. And immediately in my heart, I said, "There's something different about that woman. She's not your average inmate." Then I found out, and I'll tell that story, you know, as we go along here. But I found out that was why I was in those trauma classes. I was supposed to connect with Lori. We were supposed to go for out there. Just it just blew open this whole ministry mm-hmm. in a great way. I just
2: like, keep going with it. Yeah, that's great. You know, so. Just- I'd say continue your whole journey because it's a pretty cool story.
3: Well, I want to know. Yeah, well, what were you thinking at the
0: time, Scott? Like watching your wife kind of sort of almost have like a, I don't know, a crossroads moment.
2: No, I was actually pretty excited because we're we're praying together. God, what do you want her to jump into? And I knew part of that would probably direct me as well. Um, Obviously, I'm an architect that's my main responsibility I, and I do that to the Lord too so it's not like oh poor me I'm not in ministry because right, yeah. you minister as it as you job yeah. too people need houses and, yeah and my time <laughs> is limited and we have a Christmas tree farm and so but what is so cool is I'm providing an atmosphere for her to minister and I and I sometimes I get jealous or' envious because I hear all these cool stories that she's doing and, and but God encouraged me that you know two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor so even though I'm not the face of what some stuff she's doing, we're laboring together, and and God gave me that contentment. Okay, don't worry about I'm not. You know, we kind of compare ourselves with one another. Oh man, she's she's way ahead of me as far as what she's doing for the Lord, and and I got plugged into the Open Door Mission. I guess I'll jump into some of those stories, and and, I'm, and I I'm working with the Outreach Center, which is kind of the clothing and housewares and electronics and toys and. Yeah. I'm back there sorting clothes. Yeah. Baby clothes 0 to 9 months. I'm like But what was really cool is so the Lord gave me this verse um in Bethany when the uh, house of Simon Leper when a woman came and put this costly fragrant oil on the Lord and the disciples saw it and they were it says they were just furious like why this waste you're pouring this costly perfume on the Lord and it says for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But Jesus said, you know, she honored me and she was doing it for me. And so what I took away from that was the disciples saw what she was doing, that this ointment had greater value and potential to to sell it and give it to the poor than what she was doing with it. And so when I'm back there folding clothes, I could have easily said, i got more potential than folding baby clothes from zero to nine months, really. (laughs) But it was really neat. The Lord gave me a complete contentment that, hey, you're doing this for me. And I'm back there just really excited, I'm, and I don't, you know, I'm not really good at sorting baby clothes, but, you know, I have these bins, I'm throwing them in, and and so I, the Lord gave me just a joy to do that, and then, and I've been down there enough now, I know how, where everything's going, there's other people that have to do community service, and you gotta clock in and clock out, because they think you gotta track your time, and and I said, you know, I I can get the thing to work, and I don't need the hours. And she goes, you mean, you don't, what do you mean you don't need the hours?" I said, "I'm just doing this for the Lord. I don't need the hours." The the people that run the the program down there, and they're like, "You don't need the hour? You're just doing this for?" And they like shook my hand. They were so excited that I'm just coming down here to encourage and help, and and I'm setting stuff on the on the floor. And one of the guys who have to do community service that was probably one of the residents of the Open Door Mission. He goes, hey, do you know where this lamp goes? I said, yeah, you, it's, it's over there on the shelf. And I'm talking very politely and respectfully to him. And he goes, wow, thank you for talking to me like an adult because everyone around here treats me like dirt. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, so it's just interesting. You don't even know you're making an impact on some of these people that you're rubbing shoulders with and talking to. But he just really appreciated just me treating him like a a person, yeah. you know. Yeah. So anyway –
0: that's good.
2: I'm excited that God's plugging me into things, and Debbie's obviously uh, more involved in some of these ministries I am. But we're all ministering together.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Uh, quick highlight, guys. I love your stories so far, just because like this is like a picture of like what retirement like should be. Like not like <laughs> you know like you could go to the beach and do whatever, but like you guys are investing your life into people, and that that matters huge. So, anyway, uh, Debbie, would you continue telling us the story of Lori? I think you were about to go there. and then.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, during those five days, uh, we had enough connection. There was only a class of maybe four women. Maybe we started with eight. But by the end, Lori was the only one left in that room. Mm. The other inmates had either decided not to keep coming or they had different appointments. So at that point, Chaplain Joy said to me, I would like you to meet with this woman named Tina out of the class. And she said, I'm going to meet with Lori. But she said, I'm going to be gone. So would you meet with Tina and Lori for a couple of times while I'm gone? Like one-on-one. And I said, oh, yeah, I would love to. So I meet with Tina and Lori. The very first week after we met, Tina decided she didn't want to keep coming. She wasn't ready for whatever we were doing, talking about. And Lori and I met a couple times. We really connected. So then Chaplain Joy had said to me, well, now I only want you to meet a few times with a number of women because we don't. there's so much need in here. We don't want to go too deep with just one woman. Well, God had other plans, and I just smile about that because... I was put with then one other woman, and then pretty soon Chaplain Joy got busy with the American Bible Society, who does these trauma classes, and she basically just went a whole other direction, and I never did help her teach another class. So I wanted to do more, and at about that time, Lori Hill pled with Chaplain Joy. She said, would you please get me a mentor? Now, what's interesting about this whole story is, you know how God laid on my heart to evangelize? Lori was a believer, but and that's what I had already spent years doing, was uh, helping women in trauma who were believers get back with the Lord. But God put us together so that together, as she got healing, we would together evangelize a far greater impact. Now that I'm with a woman who has been on the inside, so it's so cool how God said you're going to evangelize, but you're going to do this first because I have somebody I've got to come alongside you. So I meet with Lori. So she begs Chaplain uh, Eunice or Joy, sorry, for a mentor, and so she said to me, "Would you meet? Would you continue to meet with Lori?" And I said, "Oh, I would love to." Well, Lori later told me she's a black woman. She said. I didn't even like white women. I didn't trust them. And she thought, God, what does this woman know? She's very funny. And she loves to tell the story. What does this woman know about my life? She ain't done none of the stuff I've done. What does she know about drugs? What does she know about the inner city? What does she know? And then she said, and I said to God, but God, I'm desperate. And if that's who you provided, I'm going to take a chance. So I didn't know she had that heart. Now, I don't have any prejudice issues at all. We were raised around all colors. All We were just taught you just love because Jesus loves, and that that's all. So she eventually told me, she said, I really had this hang-up with you being a white woman. And I said, really? I didn't have any. So it was reverse prejudice. But God erased that so much so that now she says, she tells people, I'm her home girl. It's so funny. And she says, I'm her sister. And when she finally came out of prison, on the way home, I confided in her. I said, Lori, you need to know something. Because you're supposed to keep your personal life separate from your ministry when you're in prison. I said, you need to know something. We have a Christmas tree farm. And if you saw what we had, you would think that we were really well-to-do. I said, but I want you to know something. It Every bit of it belongs to the Lord. So what's mine is yours. And you are free to use any of it for what you want to use. You bring your family out, it's yours. And she said, the same with me. What's mine is yours. So it has just been, because I sometimes fear that they're going to put me in a box and say, well, she couldn't ever understand my poverty or my need because she has all that. And it's so far from the truth because I know it's all from the Lord. So going back to Lori, as we met in the inner sanctuary of that Douglas County Jail, there's a a private room you can meet in. And we met for months. I started meeting with her probably in August of 16 or maybe September. She moved out to York in the end of February. And another huge God story, we did not know that people couldn't get into York Previously, nobody could get into York. The chaplains were saying, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just contacted the religious coordinator, and he said, well, do da-da-da-da-da. I provided the paperwork, and here I am. They said, wow, we've been praying for York to open up for years, and nobody could get out there because they had a different religious coordinator who didn't know the Lord, apparently. So the timing of all this. And so Lori and I, as we worked together, Week in and week out, she began to share the most intimate details of her life. And God just opened up the rawness in her heart. And I held her while she sobbed and while God just spoke into her heart and told her her beauty and told her her worth. And we would feel like we were in the holiest of holies inside that inner sanctuary in that Douglas County. It was the most amazing time for me. And um, so then she got moved to York the end of February I wasn't allowed to visit until the end of April, right before Easter, and uh, we celebrated that first time we were able to visit together, and then I began to go out to York once a week. Well, Lori was the only inmate that I was going out there for, but somebody else named Amber started requesting clergy visits through Overcomers in Christ. So they can write to the Overcomers in Christ PO box, say, I'd like a clergy visit, and then I can contact them. So Amber became my second inmate. And then it just spread from there. And somebody else would find out. And somebody else would find out, well, where are you going? Well, I'm going for my clergy visit. Well, how'd you get that? Well, I want that. And so then the Lord has just given me numbers of different women to visit out there. But following the Lori story back to that, She got some other really deep healing. But during this time, God allowed a very deep wound in our own family. Because when you give everything to God and you lay it all on the altar, sometimes you're really tested. So we had a severe test that year. And when this was going on, It was actually about a year ago that it really got bad. Um, My life dropped the bottom out. And I said, Satan, you're not going to win. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you do to my family. I'm not stopping, just so you know. And when I went out to visit Lori that week, I thought to myself, am I going to tell her what's going on with me? Am I going to? And then I thought, I can't be fake. So you know what? I broke down in her arms, and she held me mm. while I sobbed. And so these are the things that God has done in preparing us together for ministry.
2: Yeah. So just to kind of follow, what's really cool about the York prison experience is they were not allowing people like her to come in, Christians. They kept denying it. So the good news in jail and prison ministry, were, like she was saying, tried for years to get in there, they would not be allowed. And so she just ignorantly applies, so to speak. Gets accepted, and like okay. How how did you do that? We've been trying for years, and it was neat. So there's about 320 some ladies there at the time, and then people started requesting Bibles. You can't just give them Bibles; they have to request it. And you, we'd get like 10 requests for Bibles, and another 10. So it seemed like. Within a year or six months, nine months, oh, like two hundred requests, almost over half the jail population was requesting Bibles. And one lady said, "And
3: Overcomers in Christ books, yeah, and Overcomers in books.
2: Like someone stole my Bible, I need to get another Bible." It was interesting how this mission field just blew up, just wide open. Yeah, so I really wow. yeah, to
3: see. yeah. It culminated in this past a few months ago. They asked me to come out, and I was just absolutely humbled. They gave me the Visitor of the Year award. And I just thought, that is such confirmation that I am supposed to be right here with these women. Yeah.
0: That's great. That's, yeah, that's an incredible story. It's still going. And it's it's still going. (laughs) And like, just to fast forward a little bit. um, So you and Lori have been working together doing Overcomers in Christ, which is amazing to see that uh, your lives have just grown so much together. Um, And you guys are totally different from each other. But that's just a true picture of like discipleship being like a two way street kind of growing together and you breaking down in her arms. What an incredible testament um, but to sort of bring this down to like the ground floor for our people um, what like what advice would you give to people who are at a crossroads maybe they're about to become empty nesters mm-hmm. um, like how would you advise them to consider their life for God's glory? Well,
2: one thing the Lord has been teaching me is I had a misconception of what I thought was significant things to do for the Lord. <clears throat> I want to do these big things. I wanted to change the world, which is a great attitude and great heart. But what God was saying, if you're doing this for me, even if it's folding baby clothes, that's significant. And I'm completely honored with that. You don't have to be the Billy Graham winning you know 10,000 souls to so the Lord. If I've called you to fold baby clothes behind the counter, no one sees you in the back walls but you're doing it for me, that's significant. So the Lord really kind of broadened my uh, understanding of what pleases the Lord and what's significant to him and be completely content. If you're the, the mom taking care of four kids that are screaming at you and you're changing diapers, that's what he's called you to That's significant, and be content yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. But then there's times where you might have some extra hours. Okay, Lord, where do you want me to go from there? And um, I just, part of, obviously, Debbie's gifted the way she is. I'm gifted a little differently and wired a little differently. I think of Moses when he stood before the burning bush, and it's like, how am I going to deliver these people? And God said, well, what's in your hand? And he had his staff, and that's what he did for a mm-hmm. living. He says, I'm going to use you." We use what's in your hand, mm-hmm. and that kind of always stuck with me. It's like, what's in your hand? It's like, well, what are you currently doing? What areas can you explore? And as you're, you know, we're saying that God moves or steers a moving object, and as you're moving forward and saying yes, God sometimes steers you a little differently. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool. I didn't even think of that, mm-hmm. and so... Yeah. And but just this the significance of God's values even these little things and I kinda disregard them as not important or if someone else is doing that they could be they could be doing more than that. But God says, you know, I'm honored with that and you know so you'd be thrilled.
3: Well, and my answer to that would be that what God did was he took what I already had learned in life. I had already been a teacher, I had already worked with kids, I had already worked with trauma people yeah and discipleship. So I, he didn't just start me off on something completely that I was totally green in, but I'd never done prison ministry. I didn't set out to do prison ministry. I set out to evangelize. So what he did was he took all of my background together. I saw this after I was already involved in prison. ministry. I'm like, huh, isn't that interesting? (laughs) I'm teaching recovery issues in new community through Bible teaching. I am discipling women through Overcomers in Christ. I am dealing with trauma out there in New York. So it's like all the pieces of my life have come together, and there's nothing I've ever done that has been more satisfying and more fulfilling except raising my kids. And the other thing is um, the, the funny part of all of how God works is I came full circle When the first ministry my mom had knocked the door on was, do you want to lead, -lead co-lead a group down at Lydia House? After I was already involved in Douglas County, already involved in New Community, already involved in York, they added a second Overcomers in Christ class down there. And my mom called me up and she said, would you teach one of these Overcomers in Christ classes? And so I ended up back at the Lydia House. Had I started at the Lydia House, I think I would have missed all of this other that God had for me. So now Lori and I co-lead some of the classes down there, and I see those women coming out of prison or coming out of county jail, or I see them at new communities. So I'm very in, networked into that world. Yeah. And it's just to me so interesting how God sometimes takes a no to give you a yes to later on give you the original yes yeah. that you asked for. Mm -hmm.
1: So Debbie, say there's somebody who comes up to you and they might be feeling God drawing them to to something, to say yes to some sort of ministry, and they feel ill-equipped, they feel scared, they feel like they've never um, been trained for something like this, um, but they feel like God's calling them there. What do you tell them? How do you how do you help give them the the courage to say yes when when it might feel overwhelming or daunting?
3: Absolutely. Everybody doesn't have the training, but anybody can get training. And there is lots of training out there. Um, I know, for example, Chaplain Eunice with Good, new, with good News Jail and Prison Ministry and New Community, she's all about training and equipping. So if a woman wanted to join that ministry, it's just women from churches that come together with women in recovery that have a heart for women in recovery. It's not, I've never had an addiction in my life, and I tell these women, I've never had an addiction, but I understand and I'm a good listener. You know, and I care. And I know that sin is the disease and Jesus is the cure. And that's the same for all of us. And so they really accept me into their world because they think it's like going into a foreign culture. If you're willing to learn the language, Andrew, then they're willing to receive you. These women, some of them are the most open women I've ever met in my life. I've never had the trauma they've had, I've, but you don't have to. If you have a heart like Jesus, he will give you what you need, even if it's just a listening ear. You don't even have to have the answers. If you're just willing to sit alongside a weeping woman, that's what they're looking for. Somebody to be with them. You know how it says, remember those who are in prison as if you were there with them. And that's really what I do. Today is the birthday of one of my inmates, and she's 28. I started visiting her when she was 26. She was a former foster girl and a hard, hard girl. And I saw beyond her hard exterior, and I said, I understand foster kids, and I know that you don't want to be bad, but here you are. And she's done some hefty crimes. But today's her birthday. And she wrote me an email, and she said, Just knowing You're in my corner. Just knowing you're proud of me, just knowing you care that you won't give up on me when I want to give up on myself, that has made all the difference in the world. Andrew, anyone can be that person.
2: In fact, someone from Providence that we've interacted with wants to be part of the ministry that that Debbie goes out with. So we'll see how that opens up, but Mm -hmm. who knows? Mm -hmm. Someone in
3: recovery, a lot of women tell me, I want to do what you're doing. But you know, anybody can be a friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's right. I love that, and I love just the you know, Scott. You kind of mentioned it the the idea of um, you know potentially seeing or hearing some of these stories and, and getting jealous or having this uh, idea of like, okay, there's something exciting about this. And Gabe and I were actually just oh, yeah. talking this morning about the temptation. I think that you know we feel, or that that we talk to people that feel that Christianity can sometimes. Uh, feel boring or feel unexciting or there's more joys and adventures and excitement outside, but you hear these stories. And and I think that the key is you guys continue to say yes. uh, And there's something about joining God and some, some of these crazy things that he's doing that is incredibly exciting. You know, you hear Mm -hmm. these stories and it, and it is because you guys have just said yes to the Lord and, and it's just, yeah, it's amazing. And it's encouraging um, to see you guys doing this. What
2: really expanded me, too, is the grace of God and his mercy, how he loves mercy. He His we're Sin abonded, grace did so much more that mm. God trumps any past, any sin with his grace. And so it's neat to see this, because some of these people really think they're too far gone. You know, can God really love me, and look what I've done. Or, and it's so cool to see God's grace at work. And so... It's that's been a neat part of the journey. So that's part of the joy. Now, obviously, we're talking a lot about a lot of neat, happy times. Everything's going well, but there are other times where totally. you, you invest into some of these people, and they some come out a little unstable, and you you understand that, and they run off to the crack houses as soon as you bring them home, literally, and they cycle through many more times. Or and some, so you you understand that too. That you're investing in lives as God leads, and some may not go on, and so.
3: It's about being faithful. Yeah,
2: you just be it's faithful. It's just about
3: being faithful. The one thing I was going to say to your question earlier too, Gabe, is the two things in life that are permanent are people and God's word. And I have kept that in my heart that that's what I want to devote my life to, people and God's word, because those are the things that are eternal. Everything else perishes everything so if we focus on that and we say god how can i invest in people how can i invest in your word i think we will be going in the right direction
0: mm, that's good well scott and debbie thank you so much for um for writing this piece and it's grammatically perfect yeah. <laughs> Good work, debbie, debbie. debbie's always giving me yeah, she's my editor give like me it. crud for misspelled song lyrics but that's okay um <laughs> But you ended with this one quote, and I wanted to read it and then pray okay. for us. Um, yeah. I just thought it was a really beautiful ending. And you said this. You say, we try to beat in rhythm, you and Scott, we try to beat in rhythm with God's loving heart, often feeling inadequate and not always getting it right. But God graciously picks us up and sets our feet in the right direction, and we take the next step. Yeah. that's just so good. We just got to take the next step. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And trust in his faithfulness. Let me pray for us. And we'll end there. Father, thank you for your grace towards us, Lord, um, that we don't have to plan our entire life out, but we can trust in you Mm -hmm. to direct our feet and even knit Mm -hmm. together all of our experiences from childhood to our our old age or Mm -hmm. whatever, Lord. Um, So thank you for that. Thank you for that grace, Lord, that we can just trust in you and just take the next step to move towards people, to move. Um, towards you uh, through your word, Lord. So, would you do that? In our church family, Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you call us um, to next steps, all of us to next steps? In your holy name, amen. 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 amen.